0: say something before I actually preach on Matthew chapter 25. You you can say in Matthew chapter 25, we'll be in verses 1 through 13 in in a little while. Um, Jude said to those he was writing to in verse 3 of his epistle, he said, While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I want to say that um, obviously every passage of Scripture is relevant uh, to our modern day time. There is an application um, that all of the Word has uh, to all of us. Um, but at times, there seem to be passages that seem more relevant, that seem um, pointed at our day and hour. You read it and you almost think, how was this written 2,000 years ago to a different group of people? Surely this was written directly to us. And I thought about the the future of our church uh, at, at the first of the year um, I'm always thinking about each year, I, I, about this time, I, I think about the future of the church. I think about where we're going. I think about um, plans for the future. I think about vision. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I stop and I reflect on, on last year and, and all that was accomplished. And, and I'll say um, that on the 3rd of February, the first Sunday of February, I'm going to be giving our State of the Church Address. I encourage you to be here. I encourage you that if there was anything planned that weekend that you can rearrange to rearrange it. Uh, I'm going to address the church, talk about where we're at as a church. Um, I'm doing something this year that I have not done ever before, and it has blessed my heart. I'm only halfway done. I have compiled a list of everything that I can think of that we did last year as a church, and it will blow your mind what you people accomplished in 365 days. It is unbelievable, all that was done in 2012. Uh, you will be blessed. Um, the number of times God's Word was taught, um I'll be sharing that, but one of the things that is important, Jude said that he wanted to admonish them to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We need to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And I want to say that when Jude wrote this, the New Testament had not been entirely compiled. They, they did have um, some of the writings. Um, even Peter alludes to Paul's writings in, in Peter's ep- um, epistles. But... Generally, he was simply talking about the truth of the Gospel. Salvation through Jesus Christ and the reality that a God who saves us is a God who changes us. That when Jesus touched somebody and healed them, what did He tell them? He said, go and sin no more. We see that even Jesus Himself believed that His touch should change the way a person lives. I was talking with a brother sometime this week about the, the reality that one of the easiest ways to destroy a people is to hijack their language. Because then nobody knows what you're talking about. And we see this from the very beginning of Genesis when Satan told Eve that if she ate of what God told her not to, that she would become like God interesting that really, if you think about it, Eve was already like God. She was eternal. She was not greater than God, but all that Satan says, you'll become like God. And in many ways, she was. Matter of fact, Psalm 82 tells us, God said, did I not say that ye are God's little g? God had given Adam and Eve dominion over all of the earth. Every creeping thing on the earth the the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, their lives are eternal. Comparatively speaking, she already was, in, in a sense, like God. Satan begins to use a term that, had she been thinking, she already was. And when you steal a language, all of a sudden, people don't know what you're talking about. For example, being born again nowadays just simply means... Being convinced you need to say a prayer. And so you say a prayer and then you are, what's the word for it? Saved. So when I say you need to be saved, you say, well, I already did that. When I was four years old, I was baptized. And now we're using the same word, but talking about two different things. And when you can hijack somebody's language, all of a sudden the power of words begins to lose its force. Which ultimately... God has chosen that words are the main force through which preaching goes out, testimonies go out. And we're living in an era when somehow, way, the church again has to learn to contend earnestly for the faith. That was once for all delivered to the saints. Let's get that settled in our hearts. It was once for all delivered to the saints there's nothing new coming down the pike what god wants us to do is hold fast to that which was delivered and to preach that and to contend earnestly for that and we as a body of believers must learn how to do that it is it is frustrating talking to people about being saved in our day and age because everybody's saved everybody's saved Everybody. But really, they're not. As we're going to see in Matthew chapter 25, it'd do well for half to make it in that actually think they are. So somehow we need God to give us revelation and understanding and leading. And I sense that in my spirit, that God wants us to be a people who contend earnestly for the faith. You need to understand if you've got to contend against something, that means there is a battle for it. There is somebody that's trying to destroy it. There is somebody that's trying to hijack it, to take it away. And all under the disguise of love, somehow the church has lost its ability to stand on truth and say God requires us to repent. And there is an element of holiness that should be expected. Of everyone who's saved. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, and I quote, Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. That's what it says. Therefore, we should expect that a true salvation experience moves us into a place of holiness. And holiness is something that's evidenced by our external living. This wasn't what I want to preach on this morning, but my point is this. There is a faith that needs to be contended for. And I pray that in this year, God gives us the wisdom how to do that. How do we communicate that love without feeling like we're just beating people up? Without feeling like we're being divisive over things that don't matter? Because I'm not talking about secondary issues. I'm talking about the, the, the truth that a man must be born again. That unless a person is born of the Spirit, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And being born of the Spirit is a whole lot more than being convinced you need to say a prayer. And being led in a prayer by somebody who then after you pray it, they tell you you're saved. Don't ever question whether or not you're saved. Even if your life doesn't live it. Even if there's not a single change in your life and holiness is nothing that ever overtakes you. Don't worry. You're saved. That's not true. Hey, we're saved from hell, but we're saved from a whole lot more than just hell. We're saved out of our sins. We're saved from ourselves. I understand there's a battle of the flesh and the Spirit. I'm going to teach on that eventually, real soon actually, on a Sunday night series. But I simply wanted to open up this morning because I thought about preaching an entire sermon on just this thought. I'm not going to do it. But we must contend for the faith. And may God grant us hearts that are courageous to contend. May we see the need to contend for the faith, to properly communicate it. And may we ask God for the wisdom to help us understand how do we do this when everybody's saved? I asked so many people about salvation. Well, yeah, I was baptized. Listen, baptism doesn't save you and nowhere does the Bible teach that it does. Baptism should follow salvation. I would even go so far to say the Bible teaches that baptism is associated with salvation. I would say that. But the foolishness of thinking that getting baptized saved a person is ridiculous. If we really believed that and we didn't believe that there was something that had to take place in the heart first, Why not take a club and club people over the head and baptize them while they're out? Hey, they might be furious, but hey, we've saved someone from hell. Or why don't we pull our funds together and offer fifty dollars to everybody that's willing to let us baptize them in Jesus' name? Come on. Because instinctively we know that wouldn't save anyone. We know. Why do people think they're safe? Because they were baptized. Or because they said a prayer. And our language has been hijacked from us. Too many people think being born again is the same thing as going through a class, saying a prayer. There is a need for the hour for us to contend earnestly for the faith. May God grant us wisdom to do that this year. Now to our text. Matthew chapter 25. Verses 1 through 13. I'll ask you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God this morning as we read 13 verses of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 25, the Word of God says this, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took Their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight a cry was heard Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But He answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Lord, I ask now that You would anoint me with the unction of heaven to preach Your Word this morning in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. We ask, God, that You would help us to see with the eyes of our heart, to hear with the ears of our heart, and to understand in our heart this morning Your Word. We acknowledge that we need You to help us do that. God, that without You we can do nothing. And so, Lord, even now we ask once again, teach us, help us, Father. Your Word tells us that You are a rewarder of those who diligently seek You. This morning, would You reward Your people for seeking You? and reward them, God, with an understanding of Your Word and its application to their lives. God, help us to be a people who contend earnestly for the faith. This morning, if there be any here who need to be saved, God, if there be any here, and no doubt there are, who belong to the category of the five foolish virgins, God, I pray this morning that through Your grace and Your love, and Your power and Your majesty, that You would remove the veil of their heart and help them to see the need to be filled with the oil of heaven. Have Your way, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Several times, Jesus uses similar analogies referencing what we will call the end of time when judgment comes and those that are saved are saved forever and those who are lost are officially lost forever separated from God. He uses the idea in Matthew chapter 7 of the the bad tree and the good tree. Um, he uses an analogy in uh, I believe Matthew 24. Uh, and 25 of the sheep and the goats. Uh, we see him use the analogy of the wheat and the tares, all of which are separated at the end. They're not separated here in this lifetime. They are so closely related that the average eye cannot discern the difference. We see that in the end, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, Many will come to me, very similar to what he said here. And saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these great things in your name? Cast down demons in your name. And do miracles in your name. Jesus said, I will tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. I asked the question, who are those that think they're saved but aren't? You know, that's a really important thing. It's a real important thing to understand what the Bible teaches about that. It's also important to know that it's not a coin flip. It's not a just keep going and hope that you're on the right side. matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that you can know that you're saved. God wants us to have the assurance that we're saved. God wants those who are truly His to know that they are His. To rest in the fact that He is able to save us. That He who began a good work in us We'll finish it until the day of the Lord's coming. That the Lord does not lose any of His sheep. God wants His children to have that assurance. But rest assured, God does not want those who are not His children to have false assurance they are. And thus Jesus in many ways taught about this idea and this theme of those who are deceived into thinking they're saved. Now, we see that He uses two terms. One is wise. One is foolish. One of the things that I would say is that in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that that many will come to Me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these great things in your name? And Jesus said, I will tell them, depart from me, I never knew you. Concerning Matthew chapter 7 and concerning our text, I want you to please notice something that's incredibly important. Very, 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 very important. Sometimes the Word of God deals with all people. Sometimes it deals with the pocket of people. This passage deals with the pocket of people it only deals with those who think they're actually going to be meeting the Lord Jesus. That's not Muslims. That's not atheists. That's not agnostics. That's not Buddhists. That's not Hindus. That's not anything in between. That is only those who believe that they're going to meet Jesus when it's all said and done. That's the pocket of people He's addressing. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, listen carefully. May God... Uh, 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 prick our hearts this morning. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, many will come and I'll tell them depart. That word many means most. Now, while we can debate, is it 60, 40, 70, 30? What is many? What is few? In this particular passage, it's 50-50. But you'll never see a passage that when Jesus is speaking of this this topic, that He gives any more than 50% chance. That should give us some pause this morning. It really should. It should give us some pause. Not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Not everybody who goes to church is a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than hanging out in your garage makes you a mechanic. You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. We are not saved of works lest any man should both The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. And so all the works that should follow, and Jesus, Jesus told the, the Pharisees, these works you ought to have done. It's not that you shouldn't have done these. He said, but you have neglected the weightier, the matters of faith, the matters of the heart. And so while there are works that will follow, a true person who's been saved in holiness will begin to uh, uh, um, be a mark of their life. Going to church, paying your tithes, going on missions, trips, helping people, giving to the homeless, helping our Christmas program, filling this food pantry, all those things. They don't make us safe. God does not have some set of scales that each, every single one of us, uh, He's just waiting to see if we tip them the right way. Because the wages of sin is death. And all of us have sinned. So the only way of escape is through Jesus Christ. One of the things that I would say I think would, would be wise for us is in dealing with other people, we should be generous. It's 50-50. We should be generous and realize that man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And we should give the benefit of the doubt to those who say that their life has been changed by Jesus Christ. They place their faith in Him. But concerning our own selves, let us deal harshly with our own selves. Let us look honestly at our own selves. Let us not justify sin in our hearts. Let us not explain away behavior that we know is unbecoming of a child of the King that is in our lives. And let us make sure that we can say without any hesitation, I belong to the group of the wise. Let's look at the foolish virgins this morning and then we'll look at the wise. It is the error of the foolish virgins that they took their lamp, but they took no oil with them. They had just enough oil to make their lamps burn for the present. In other words, to make a show with. As if they intended to meet the bridegroom. This is those who belong to the foolish camp. They're not real concerned about how they live and what they look like when they're around everybody else, but you show up at church where we're going to talk spiritual things. Show up around church people or the pastor shows up at the house and all of a sudden it's move this, move that, take that off the wall, turn that off the TV, pastor's here. It'd be good for you to care a whole lot more about what God thinks than what I think and realize that God is with you all the time. But see, that's evidence that you belong to the foolish clan. But you're more concerned about looking like something than actually being something. The foolish had enough to make a show. They had enough in their hand, that that right hand of profession, that lamp, But to the average eye, to the passerby, just looking quickly without any great... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Without any... um, without paying much attention, the average person passing by would look by and say, hey, well, they're the same. Both say the same thing. Both have a lamp in their hands. Both must be awaiting for the exact same thing. One really is waiting. The other is only trying to convince everyone else that he is. Notice they have no principle within they have a lamp of profession in their hands, but it's not in their heart. You know, what God's after is the heart. That's really what He's after. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Why doesn't God look on the outward appearance? Why doesn't God even look on the outward appearance and the heart? Here's the answer. The outward appearance isn't who you are. Your heart is the express image of who you really are. That's why God says, give me your heart. God is after the heart. We can go out and you and I can have breakfast. We can drink a coffee together. And based upon the way I look and upon the way I act in the tone of my voice and the facial expressions I make, I can cause you to believe I'm either happy or I'm sad. But you don't really know what's going on inside. God, on the other hand, He doesn't even look on the outward appearance. He just looks straight at the heart. You know why? Because the heart is the express image of who you are. That's what God looks at. That's what God's concerned about. And the foolish virgins, they knew what they are supposed to look like on the outside. They, They were concerned about giving the impression they belonged to the right group. You see, there's a lot of people that want the same thing because in their flesh and in their their own selfish desires, they want to be honorable. And so it's very possible for a man who lives in a family or is raised in a family or married into a family, whatever his circumstances may be, it's very possible for a man who's... Family considers it honorable to be a Christian, whose family considers it a good and righteous thing to be a church going, God fearing man. And he says, I want to be considered that. And so, in order to be considered that, he takes up the lamp of profession and he says, Look, I too am like you. I have a lamp in my hands, I go to church. I can memorize some Bible scriptures to sound spiritual when we have conversations about the Bible. Sure, I can do those things. The question is Has salvation taken place in the heart? Has the heart been changed? Have you surrendered to God? Who are you when no one else is looking? Are you convicted of sin because sin is wrong? Or are you convinced that if you look a certain way, people will think you're righteous. And so really you're just trying to give the impression that you're righteous. The Bible says, be careful that no man deceive himself. It's real easy for us to deceive ourselves if we've got the lamp of profession. If we're trying to determine if we're saved, what we need to do is ask ourselves, is there an honest conviction of sin and a deep desire to know God and to honor Him? But if the ultimate motivation in my actions is, I want everybody to think I'm spiritual. I want to look like this. I want my kids to think. I've seen many of men refuse to yield to the conviction of God, refuse to get honest before God because they think they've got their family deceived into thinking they're already saved. And so the last thing in the world they're ever going to do is admit they're not. What a terrible thing. When we see the, the, the culmination of this story. To hold on to your pride now because you care more about what you seem like than what you really are. Do you belong to the wise or the foolish? They had no principle within. No sound knowledge. No rooted dispositions, and no settled resolutions. Can I tell you repentance is a settled heart and mind. When you truly get saved, you'll find that you start out and you go and you're going to fall down. You will sin again, but you will be convicted of sin. Proverbs says the righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. The righteous man Yes, he falls, but bless God's holy name, he gets back up and he keeps on going. But repentance and serving God, it takes some conviction. It takes some some settled resolutions that I am not going to turn back around. My life is bought with a price and though the whole world forsake me, I will continue to serve God. True salvation requires that. Believe me, when you are born again and the Spirit of the living God indwells you, you'll find He'll convict you of sin. Notice they're not concerned about really what is to come. They only took their lamps for a present show, but they had no oil for after the use. This is the ruin of many professing Christians. All they care about is showing themselves to their neighbors, but they're not real concerned about showing themselves to God. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. If you are living to show yourself approved unto God, it will naturally follow that For the most part, you are approved unto men. But most of us, we judge our spirituality based upon the people around us. And you'll find that those who do such are like the Pharisees. And when somebody actually comes around who has real righteousness, your desire is the same thing as the Pharisees was. Kill it. Get it out of here. It's too much of a glaring thing to show that I'm not who I'm supposed to be and I'm not really who I say I am. People who are of the foolish side are just concerned about showing themselves to their neighbors. Many times they might hear a sermon like this and they're convicted and they're even wondering in their own heart where they stand with God. And rather than running to God and trying to settle with God, they'll go to their same old neighbors. Hey, do you think I'm saved? What do you think about what the preacher said this morning? Uh, what do you think about this? I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do that. Aren't those honorable things? I know I'm saved. More concerned about what people think. Make your judgments on on where you stand with God based upon everyone else around you. Listen, everyone else around you, even those who are God-fearing, God-honoring Christians, still fall short of the mark. And they are not your mark. Jesus Christ is the mark. He's the one we are to have our eyes on. And the thing that separates the wise virgins from the foolish virgins, the wise virgins have their eyes on Christ. They understand He's the mark. I don't measure up to you. Therefore, even if everybody else around me doesn't seem to have this deep desire to to know God and to live in His fullness, I am responsible too anyways. Because He is the measurement, not those around me. But see, the foolish virgins... Are just satisfied with the crowd as long as I can look like everybody else, you know how many times do you go to church? okay What's the average time that everybody goes to church here a week? Because if this is where I'm going to be, I got to make sure I'm in the average range. How much do you pray? How much do you read your Bible? What do you do here? What do you do there? do you do you, do you ever help here or help there? Now you're starting to gauge what you should do in order to what look average. got a lamp of profession in your hand, there's nothing really deep in the heart that hungers for God. Your motivating factor for what you do isn't honoring God and pleasing Him and knowing Him, but it is looking like something. We see that the wise virgins did take oil in their lamps, in their vessels with their lamps. We see that that teaches those of us that belong to the wise side that our light must shine before men in good works. And this cannot happen, at least not long, unless it is the oil of the Holy Spirit empowering us to do what God's called us to do. This is the real difference between the wise and the foolish. The wise are born again and therefore they have the Holy Spirit. Can I say that trying to do the will of God in the power of your old carnal nature without the the anointing strength of the Holy Spirit is the most exhausting, tedious, terrible thing ever. It's horrible. It is the constant feeling of how hard do I have to try and knowing it's never good enough. But when you truly yield to the Spirit of God and you're led by God and you simply trust Him and follow Him and allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to do so, it just seems to flow out of you. As Christians, we must learn to look to the power of the Holy Ghost that God has given us to do anything and everything. It is a tedious and exhausting thing to try to do anything for God without God's help. Notice they both have faults. They both went to sleep. I think that's interesting about the passage. They did both go to sleep. They all slept and they all slumbered. And the reason why is because the bridegroom tarried. I tell you, the groom tarries for good reason. And though he tarries past our understanding, he knows what he's doing and he knows why, but he will return. And that is the lesson of Matthew chapter 25 that He will return. Too many good Christians, when they have been waiting so long, seem to lose their zeal. They seem to forget to continue to go to the well of grace where God can fill them with the Holy Spirit and they continue to burn bright. If it was hard for Jesus' disciples to watch for one hour, How much more for us to watch for an entire lifetime? But we must. So the Lord comes, and I want you to see that as the Lord comes, there was a cry at midnight in verse 6. Look at verse 7. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. This is the deceitfulness of those who simply carry the lamp but have no oil inside. They really think they're getting in. They really do. They really expect that when it all happens, they're going to be right there with the real deal. They have deceived themselves into thinking that they belong to Christ. And so they all go. And when Christ comes, we must go forth to meet Him. Notice the distress that came upon the foolish virgins, for it wasn't until the midnight cry that they realized they had no oil. It wasn't until the midnight cry that they realized it's not about just looking like something. It's not about just going to church and having a lamp of profession in your hand and Going through the motions and paying your tithes, it's not about that. It's about an inward change, it is about being born again. And in that moment they realized that they were out, and notice what they said in verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Look at their distress they stood there with nothing but a lie in their right hand. And while that lie in their right hand may have deceived even the wise virgins, and it may have deceived even their own selves, it didn't deceive the Lord Jesus Christ. And in their distress, they finally say to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil. There will come a day when when those foolish virgins who currently mock the the wise ones, who currently say, oh, you don't have to love God that much. That guy's just a crazy fanatic. You don't have to really surrender all your life to God and live a life of holiness. There's lots of people who go to church. There's lots of people who are Christians that aren't like that crazy fanatic. You don't have to read your Bible all the time. You don't really need it. I read mine all the time and I don't get anything out of it either. Why do it? God knows my heart. That's the problem. Yes, He does. And it ought to be a terrifying thought, not a comforting one, to the foolish virgins. There will come a day when the foolish will say to the wise, Whoa, give me some of what you got. I know I mocked it previously, and, and I know that we made jokes about it previously, and I know I didn't think I needed it previously, but now I know I need it now. What terror it'll be because it'll be too late. It also teaches us this. What did what was the response? Every one of the five said this, and God helped us to see it this morning. They said we don't we don't have anything we can give to you. Go get it from those that sell it. That's good advice. Go get it while you can. But it teaches us this, that the grace that God gives us, I need all of it. I don't have enough to give to you. I can't save you this morning. This preacher up here, as much as I love God and I seek Him and I try to live in His will, I can't save you. I don't have an ounce of nothing to save you this morning. Your mom can't save you. Your dad can't save you. Your grandparents can't save you. Every single person is truly born again in this place. We can take all that we have and we can't save you. You can't do it. You can't get it from somebody else. It doesn't just rub off. You can't just show up in a church where the Spirit of God moves and you sense that God's real and He's in this place. Just rubbing shoulders with those types of folks won't save you either. You've got to go to the source. You've got to go to the giver of life. You've got to go to the one that gives the oil and His name is Jesus Christ. And you can go freely. The price has already been paid. The the, the deal has already been made on Calvary's cross as we saw and heard sung about earlier today. Love has paid it all. But you've got to go to Him. There will come a day when all those who mock And laugh those that are serious about their faith and who live consecrated lives. There will come a day when they'll say, give us what you've got. But for these, it was a day too late. Their lamps had gone out. Can I say that eventually the lamps of hypocrites do go out in this life? And that the gains of hypocritical profession will not follow a man to judgment. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 6, He said to do the things you do in front of God. And I'm paraphrasing here. But He said do the things you do in front of God. He said don't do them to be seen by men. And He made an interesting statement. He said this. He said for if you do them in front of men to be seen by them, you will have your reward. Isn't that an interesting statement? You actually have a reward. He said, but your Father who sees secretly in heaven, He will reward you if you do what you do for Him. And we see the difference here of the wise and the foolish. One trying to make a show, one truly concerned about meeting the groom. And while it is possible to have a lamp of profession... While it is possible to grow up amongst the weed and actually be a tear and yet convince everybody around you that you belong to God. If that's all that you're going for, you've got your reward. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. We all think you're a righteous man or a righteous woman. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. You've convinced us that you love God. It will matter nothing on that day. The gains of a hypocritical profession will not follow you into eternity. But on the day that we stand before God Himself, we will give an account. Notice that they come and they they even know what to call Him. Lord. Lord. Verse 11. The other virgins came Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. In Matthew chapter 7, they knew what to call him to. Lord, Lord. Lord. Now the gate is straight. The path is narrow. In Matthew chapter 7. But listen to the preacher this morning. While the Bible teaches that broad is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to salvation, listen to the preacher this morning. The gate is still open. It is still open. It hasn't been shut yet. It is still open. And there's still room to get in. And this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ still opens His arms wide and says, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And Jesus said that He will give you rest. The gate is open. And while the way is narrow and and the path is straight, bless His holy name, the gate is open. And may I say, as the wise virgin said, go to Him who gives life. Go to Him who will give you oil for the lamp. Go before it's too late because He is going to return. And if He doesn't return before you die, just remember this, that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And when that day comes, there'll be no more buying and selling. When the market is closed, there's no more chance to purchase. So today, seek Him while He may be found. Today is the day of salvation. May God grant us, as our worship team comes this morning, may God grant us as Christians, the wisdom to understand how to communicate what I've communicated this morning as loving as possible to a lost and dying world. I hope that it's come across that way. My prayer is that if the majority of us happen to fall into the category of wise virgins, first of all, glory to God and thank God for that but if such be the case, then God give us the wisdom. How do we win those who are foolish? How do we have the wisdom to speak the words to those who simply have nothing but a hand of profession? But no true stock of oil within. How do we do that in love? Surely it will require the intervention of a holy God and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not only in how we communicate it, God must give the miracle that He did on Pentecost. The Spirit fell on Pentecost. The Bible says they all spoke in different languages, but it made this statement. And everybody that was there heard it in their own language. God must give the hearers a miracle of hearing. God must touch their ears that they might hear what it is we speak. And I pray that God has touched the ears of somebody's heart here this morning. Lord, I pray that You move all over this room in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you deal with hearts. God, I pray for those who belong to the foolish virgins who may have us all faked out. As I said, big deal. God, I pray this morning, God, that they would see how much you love them. Help them to see you're not angry with them. Trying to break through the walls of hypocrisy so that you can save them. That's love. Help us to see that you warn those who you love. God, I pray this morning that somebody would have enough courage to get honest and say, that was me. That was me. And it stops today. I'm going to be saved. No more playing games. No more simply looking like no more trying to simply convince everybody in my life that I'm something I'm not. But I'm going to acknowledge I need a Savior and I'm going to acknowledge my sins, that I still am that wicked sinner and that I need forgiveness. Move on somebody's heart to do that this morning in Jesus' name. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord, that's never been saved, never made a profession whatsoever, and they know. No question where they belong this morning. They're not on the right side. They need faith. Move on, to the
1: i have unanswered prayers i have trouble i wish wasn't there and i've asked a thousand ways that you would take